Welcome to the Televerse, streaming in place, the legend of Korra. Hello everybody and welcome back to Streaming in Place. We are here for week 30 of Streaming in Place and we are kicking off the week with The Legend of Korra, book 3, Change, episodes 11 through 13. And those episodes are uh, The Ultimatum and uh enter the void and venom of the red lotus um now allison you have to take off a little early today so i'm just gonna cut right to it uh what did you think about these episodes and aren't they great (laughs) yeah they're great um i'll be honest because there are three of them Mm -hmm. um they blur together a little bit for me but yes they are bonkers uh they are really well done venom of the red lotus in particular was so distressing last night i found myself thinking how on earth am i supposed to talk about anything other than Jinora, maybe with a side of bolin the lava bender which what a great reversal what a wonderful surprise that was um but you know having slept on it it just sort of is all great. And I'm not just thinking about how moving it was seeing Janora with those tattoos. Um, and I uh, am thinking perhaps most about the look on Cora's face, which is just really upsetting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Noel, how was it revisiting these for you? It was pretty good. Um, like they're all really, really good. Um, parts of the ultimatum have not aged well in today's political climate. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that they're still, it's re- it's still really good. And there's a lot of like whiz bang pow sort of great stuff, especially in the finale itself, uh, where the show just kind of goes full superhero, full anime, um, depending on your flavor that you want. Um, it's a nice blend of both, in my opinion. But I think that it's just very whiz bang pow type fun, interesting stuff um, that... Yeah, and then just that, that big downer of an ending. It's a shame they didn't air this on TV. Yeah, well, you I know, mean, when, when you've got an Earth Queen getting asphyxiated with her own breath and then a combustion bender getting her head blown off with her own combustion bending, um, <laughs> you know, maybe... Maybe the kids weren't ready for that. Um, I'm, I'm just saying it's really good. And you know, like nobody watched it at the time, which is just yeah. sad. <laughs> yeah. Um, though I do want to note um, that um, one of the things that when I went back and went through reviews um, was that Kanetsko and Martino did a um, Nerdist podcast about season three a little bit. And one of the things they noted that, and I should have like read ahead basically, is that Apparently, the pirating didn't have a lot to do with the rushed release schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, it was mainly that it was either they air it now or they air it in 2015 because Nickelodeon is apparently really bad at scheduling things. Um, but also, then why did you just shift it over to Nick.com, guys? What's up with that? Yeah. What's up with that? It, there's a weird lot of double talk, I think, happening. Anyway, it was good. It was interesting. I'm really excited to talk about it. So let's talk about it. So let's start with the ultimatum. Uh, you mentioned some of the politics, which is not good. Um, yeah. <laughs> what is good, though, is that ending battle, because I had somehow forgotten it, and it's so amazing, and I love it so much. Uh, they, you know, we talked about them having warped the bad guys early in the season, and they did a really terrific job of 
uh, having our heroes, you know, some of them, be able to stand up to the Red Lotus, introducing to even just the name the Red Lotus, and um, and then also like explaining in a satisfying enough way how they didn't all die, considering three people got thrown off mountains. Um, Elson, how was the the climactic battle for the Northern Air Temple? You know, one of the things that I really admire about Korra and this season in particular is I think it's it's done a really good job of making the losses convincing and brutal. So it it's never like, oh, well, this is they're definitely going to lose because this is the point in the story when they lose, they have to. Um, and sometimes that is still the case and you can sort of feel the momentum of the story moving in one way or another. Um, But even when that happens, it feels like every inch of ground is honest to God battled for, right? Reactions are fast and immediate and the punches really hit. Um, And I think that maybe this is the sort of ultimate example of that. Um, it was just, it was exhausting and upsetting and, um, and, exa- and I mean that in a good way, right? Like I was very, very engaged. Uh, and we, went as Tom and I were watching, we only watched one the first time. And at the end of it, I was like, oh my God, thank God. I can't, I can't take much more of this. So, um, so it was a, a nice relief to have a little break in between. Uh, I also noticed there are a lot of really striking transitions in all three of these episodes, actually. They did a really nice job of sort of taking us back and forth between these different individual fights and uh, connecting the dots so that it all felt like one big fluid piece and yet you were following the individual battle sequences on their own as well. Just like impeccably well made. Yeah, there's a lot of really intense storyboard work going on across all three three of these episodes. It's really, really apparent in um, what you call it in um, uh, Venom of the Red Lotus, especially um, where th- I mean, just that single take of uh, Zaheer flying through the sky with Korra chasing after him um, with fire feet jets. <laughs> Um, is just kind of ridiculous um, because even even animating a single take, especially one like that, is really difficult to do, and you have to get it all right. Um, so the ways that they balance everything and everything feels both epic but also contained in a lot of ways, especially for like when they're either fighting their way out of the Northern Air Temple. Um, which is just gorgeous um, to watch them constantly running from lava. But then that final shot of just lava seeping out of the air temple itself is both beautiful and horribly destructive. Um, And you just kind of feel the loss real hard Um, that it's just really well crafted across the board. And even sometimes where you can worry about the, scenes being a little too samey looking i'm thinking really particularly of the showdown um with zaheer in front of the airship uh in um in enter the void where you're like on two different rocks sometimes it feels like or you're on one rock but like the space of the rock feels really different depending sometimes on where you're located and i think that they do a really good job of like making all of that make sense. It's not chaotic. It's all really, really clear. And it's too easy to go for chaos because then you can just hide a bunch of shit and they don't want to hide anything. So I really appreciate a lot of the care that goes into, especially when action sequences make up such a big part of 
all of these episodes, but in particular the last two, the care in which they make everything really clear and very easy to follow, but kinetic at the same time is just beautiful. As someone who hated Arrow's editing for like seasons and then James Bamford was just like, let's start doing all this shit in one take, everyone. And (laughs) suddenly Arrow was really visually interesting. (laughs) James Bamford and I should also note Lexi Alexander, um, who, when she came in as well, um, really kind of hyped up what they were doing. Yeah. Um, Marcus says, I was wondering how much lava that guy could create. It seemed excessive. Um, yeah, I don't think we're supposed to think he created all of it. I think that once he's created the lava, it is creating more. Like, it's heating up the rock around it, which would cool the overall temperature, but it would take quite a bit of other rock to cool it enough that it would stop being lava. That's the, my headcanon, at least. Yeah. Uh, because he wasn't still there when when the lava was following them very purposefully down the stairs. Um, but he did, you know, in that guy's defense, he did make an entire room, giant room full of lava before he left. So, uh, yeah, just don't overthink it. Yeah, they're all a cool. little overpowered, but it also doesn't matter because everyone else is, like, pretty powered up mm-hmm. um so yeah yeah uh well which takes us right to bolin lava bender and yeah. i like nola had forgotten about this i had completely forgotten about uh bolin as a lava bender completely forgotten i was so excited so. for him <laughs> yeah it was yeah. really delightful i really love that as a choice because and partially just because Kate is crafty and she's been talking about like, obviously he's got a metal bend. He's definitely going to metal bend. He's so going to metal bend for what seems like forever, but in reality was like four days. Um, So it was just, I think Korra and Avatar actually uh, both do a nice job of setting up the thing that you think is going to happen and then using that to segue into something else, something slightly different um they've been really good about that with Tenzin um they were really good about that with Jinora even when sometimes they're like oh, eh, she can do this now and she Spirity just does something stuff just here why not um it still is really great to watch them follow the story and to I guess to use lava as a metaphor assume the lava has melted a track through the rock and Korra goes down the track you think it's going to go but then Bolin shows up and is like "Ooh, side door and they run through the side door and then the lava follows only in this case as opposed to being a scene in the legend of Korra it's the narrative going left when you think mm-hmm. it's going to go straight um so yeah I I was just delighted by that surprise and it was such a fun revelation and I'm very much looking forward to seeing what just nonsense he gets up with this incredibly terrifying ability uh because wow mm-hmm. scary yeah. lava is scary man mm-hmm. Marcus says it seems more natural and obvious given uh Bolin's mom was a firebender for him to be able to lava bend versus metal bend and yeah, yeah. it's it's fun. Uh, Marcus also mentions that Boobie felt a little outclassed in terms of bending. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, you know, what I really loved. I love that he goes to the grapple because that's yeah, absolutely yeah. the right thing to do for a lava bender. It's yeah. great. I was saying flashbacks to Princess Bride. It's also like he doesn't, he's not suddenly not Boomy anymore. Mm-hmm. Like the way that he's fighting those fights is still like 
Boomy. It's just that he now has a new tool. He has a new weapon in his arsenal. And that just happens to be airbending. It's not like all bending all the time now. He's still doing his thing, which was formidable in the first place. That was incredibly gratifying. I was so glad to see that he didn't suddenly become just a sort of garden variety airbender. It was yeah. really, I, that choice that was particularly uh, satisfying. Yeah. Let's move on to Enter the Void. And uh, the, I mean, how, how do we feel about the way they seated? Was it the, the Guru Lahir or something like that? Lah, Lahim. Lahim, sorry. Um, and the, the flying and everything. What do we think? Uh, you know, I got to be honest. I got so used to Aang just throwing himself into the sky uh, that I was like, oh, well, sure. Okay. He can, he can. He can fly. Couldn't they already sort of fly? But I guess it was always a glide. There's always a glide of some kind, yeah. Um, But it sure felt like this is a formidable ability that also I feel like I've seen before. Um, So that particular revelation didn't thrill me as much as maybe the two of you. (laughs) Yeah, I don't remember how I felt about it at the time. Um, it was still pretty cool here, and mostly I like the fact that uh, Mingwa and Gazan are like, maybe that was a useful skill that you could have told us about. <laughs> um, just assuming that he'd always been able to do it, but um, I like how it's tied to the fact that he just doesn't have anything to live for anymore with mm-hmm. um, Pali gone. Um, which sidebar, like, I just love the character design for both of them and yeah. the way he has to almost like kind of stand up on his toes to be able to kiss her. Um, which Togo is just... represent, even if she's, you know, evil. Yeah, no, she's she's evil, but at the same time, just like that, the, the dichotomy of their sizes, I think is just really, really great. Um, but yeah, so I, I like that it's kind of tied to that, like, he can there's no void there's nothing left for him here apart from killing the avatar um to just totally break the idea of world order um but yeah i just it's still cool but it also leads into that whole we're gonna do superhero anime-esque type of stuff um that again looks really cool i I just sometimes even while i was watching i was just like yeah this is really cool this does not feel like an idea of avatar in a lot of ways. Um, so like that's shifting is like, they also bring on different directors and different storyboarders who have very different sort of approaches to this kind of stuff compared to DiMartino Martino Yeah. I thought, I think what sold it for me the best was the reaction of Lynn and Suyin. <laughs> yes. She's just like, Holy shit. Like that's what you need to really sell it. And it's, and it completely works. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I yeah. was, very on board with that. Um, before we lose Allison here, we got to talk about a little bit, at least about the finale and all of our shots of Korra, uh, which just feel out of a completely different show and are yeah. absolutely effective. What, what did you think? I mean, I think it's a very distressing setup for a final season. Um, and I'm curious, Noel, did, was the fourth season planned as the fourth season and that was going to be it? Yes. Okay. So they knew going in that, that they were setting up their final chapter book. I'm sorry, their final book. You're fine. Um, Great. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's seeing her not just physically limited, but so obviously emotionally limited and so fragile is shocking. It's maybe the most shocking thing 
including the worm from Tremors and the Earth Queen having the air sucked out of her lungs. And if I may say, Appa covered in burrs and growling at Suki, it is the most shocking thing in either of these series, I think, is um, the brief glimpses that we get of of her face and um, and the way that people are interacting with her. And um, yeah, it, I'm hopeful that what we're setting up is a really strong exploration of who Cora is and what she lost and what she has to do to survive having experienced this incredible trauma. Um, fingers crossed, because it's, a, I mean, it's a great, great jumping off point for a really sad story, but potentially very inspiring, um, compelling story. Uh, but given how little interest the legend of Korra has had in the inner workings of Korra to this point, I'm a little bit concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that concern is sort of justified. Um, in that same Nerdist podcast, I kind of referenced that um, that I referenced. Uh, Kanetsuko and DiMartino mentioned the fact that they um, designed the show with um, villains that would challenge the idea of the Avatar. Um, so, and very specifically because Korra wants to be the Avatar, and that was something Aang had always struggled with. And so that whole idea of, all right, so we're going to have a villain that takes away bending, because that's one of the key parts of the Avatar is being able to bend all the elements. And then we're going to have Unalak and Vatu who take away like the spiritual connection that is really essential. And here we have Zaheer who just wants to kill the Avatar like as a cycle, as a thing, not just like get rid of it for, and then, you know, but kill it in the, kill the Avatar during the Avatar state. So the cycle can't continue. Um, and that is also like probably like the final step in that kind of evolution. Uh, so yeah, I'll be really curious about your thoughts, um, when we get into the next season, uh, which I went ahead and watched the first episode of, <laughs> um, last night because I could not help myself. Um, cause I, I remember that first episode, but I wanted to revisit it, um, a little bit more clearly. And I was just like, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'll be really curious to hear Allison's thoughts on that, the, the premiere, um, and what they've got in store. But yeah, that ending for book three is just really kind of intense to watch. Um, And yeah, because every time she ends up with the question of how can I be the avatar when I want to be the avatar? And now it's like, it's like bound up in a lot of ableism, of course, but there's this whole question, even Raiko being like, how can she help us when she's in the wheelchair? Well, fuck you, buddy. But also like, there's Korra's- a, I think I need to introduce you to a certain machinist son who's kicking ass back yeah. in the day. Um, so I think that, but there are also like the seeds of Korra's whole deal of like, she has to feel like she's replaced by the by Tenzin's idea for the Aero Nomads to become like this peacekeeping force um, in her stead. Um, and what does that look like? How does that function? Um, so I think that there's a lot of like trauma that they have to work through going forward. Um, but whether or not they work through it, we'll find out. <laughs> Allison, do you have any final thoughts on the uh, on the season? Or not the season, we'll do that tomorrow, but on these episodes? Um, I mean, just that they're, as we've said, super impressive and really well put together. It's such a strong end to this season, which is uh, great. I mean, it's nice to feel unreservedly, save, you know, a worry or two. 
uh, optimistic and uh, positive about the series and it's great to end the season on such a high note even if it's such a low high note if that makes mm-hmm. sense mm-hmm. um it's, yeah it's also just really great to see cora's strengths in this last episode and her approach of we're gonna go punch it is absolutely what is needed and that's what needs to happen and um so it's great to see that validated after an entire season of maybe don't just kick the door down um you've Mm -hmm. made everything worse that uh, seeing her victorious even as she's traumatized um because of her strength and because of her um just her approach to being the avatar i think is really validating um so yeah but we will talk with you more tomorrow you've got a skedaddle yeah y'all keep talking there's so much to dish about i will see you tomorrow for the season wrap-up yep. so noel shall we talk about kai and how he's officially like off the shit list yeah, no, it's really cool how I don't know that they like gave him like enough time to like make that shift since a lot of like the Northern Air Temple stuff happens off screen um, and that kind of character development. But I do like the fact that that character is not rehabilitated, but pivots really nicely um, into who he is by the end. Um, someone who's more centered and team player and not out for himself not he's not aladdin he's aladdin at the end of the the movie um so yeah no i like where kai ends up um but that's mostly because i like where janora ends up uh which we didn't get a chance to discuss so um but yeah janora (laughs) well before we go completely to janora marcus does say i like how the red lotus's plan worked except they underestimate the strength of the avatar states like yeah yeah. You're dumb. You dumb red lotus. It's something I noted in my review like th- that weekend of like Zaheer, you've been pretty solid so far in terms of figuring out what to do. Did you really think a few chains were really going to hold her? No. This was the plan. You know she can <laughs> like she she can't metal bend, but you know those those chains are in a rock wall. Yeah. She can earth bend. And then she's going to kick your ass with the chains that you also can't bend. I mean, I also feel, I feel bad for also that random Red Lotus bodyguard. If I can hold a bowl. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. She did kick a lot of ass while chained up. So yeah, yeah you're right, Marcus. Um, but uh, but let's talk about Janora and uh, her convenient... Um, uh, I guess I'll say astral projecting uh, is is a bit like... Ugh, okay. But it's so cool and how it all plays off, I don't really care. And watching her lead the airbenders is just really impactful. Yeah, no, it is. Um, it's really, really neat. And I feel like that the the show does really like using Janora as its get out of whatever corner card. Mm-hmm. Um, since they do that in season two where she just shows up for something at the end in the big fight to <laughs> point out where rava is we do believe in rava we do we do Um, and that kind of happens here too with her finding coral real quick but also with her whole the poison is metal you can get it out of her um and it's just like wait did anyone tell you that or did she overhear it when she astral projected and i can't remember but it's one of those like weird niggling little things that happens she was but wasn't she watching that when that happened I think so. I'm pretty sure. Because, like, um, they metal I... bend it into her, so clearly it yeah. can be metal bent out. Yeah. 
Um, but it's still, but it still almost doesn't matter because you like Janora so much. Like mm-hmm. Kieran Shipka's performance is really great still, but there's just her whole take charge, but also just like this whole degree of the valuing of the collective. Basically, she works in a really different way from how Cora goes like real like solo for most of the time, but also how the show positions Cora. Janora gets positioned as this collective actor, this collective leader that I think ends up working really, really nicely um, as a counterpoint, but also just as a storytelling and leadership kind of thing. So that when she does have her arrow tattoos at the end, um, it's just like, it feels, it feels earned, which is yeah. great. Definitely. Well, especially with Tenzin out of it. And that's another thing we were mentioning earlier about how there feel like there are, there's impact and there's lingering effects of this. The fact that like, oh no, Kaya, Bumi, and Tenzin cannot help. Tenzin can barely just like stand up next to Ugi as they go in, you know, um, that's absolutely for, and so having her step into that vacuum of leadership and be the crucial difference, it really, you know, it indicates more than anything else. Yes, dad, give me my <laughs> tattoos already. And we won't think about how much that must have hurt to get that many tattoos all like on your head. Yeah, but but yeah, the the other elements that I wanted to make sure to mention, uh, I really like that Janora and Opal and the other Airbenders were like springing into action to you know to save themselves when the the rescue party arrives, um, and it probably would have been a, a more of a fight, but you know I feel confident they could have gotten out of there too, which is again another continuing thread for both shows is having mm-hmm. the. The people who are the damsels rescue themselves a bit, whoever is in that role. Um, what else did I, I really enjoy? The, uh, <laughs> the talking about Kai, the little exchange with Mako and Kai was key for me. It's like, uh, sorry about giving her time up. No, I, pro- I deserved it. You know, yeah. That, yeah, it's exactly that kind of growth that is really nice. Yeah. Uh, Marcus says, I'm hoping they don't make all the airbenders bald. It makes them lose their visual uniqueness and makes them harder to tell apart. Well, We'll have more on that in two days, uh, Marcus. I would, here, let me drink some water. But uh, yes, that would make them a little hard to distinguish. So I hear you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I if it'll make you feel better, you'll get some sort of answer to that question in the premiere of season four. Mm-hmm. Or your second half of season two on yeah, your platform, on, on your, Marcus. Yeah, streaming platform, yeah. <laughs> Um, let me see. We had, I, I, I also very much appreciated, do we have a name for Kai's Bison? Uh, no, not yet. It has not one yet. in the, uh, that, the start of book four, we get a name for it. Okay. Yeah. When, when Bolin jumps out to, he's like, oh, come on, that baby bison. I know. There's too many, there's too, too many people on that bison. Um, just it should have been like a quick descent straight down. More of like an yeah. elevator. Like instead of being a bison cab, it's more of like a bison elevator. But, um, but yeah. I appreciated like everything we get with with Lin and Suyin that that like when they come like like catapulting up the side of the mountain it's really badass and very cool. I love that they are um there they they prove their <laughs> they prove their metal uh very good. throughout. But then I like as as one who's not the biggest fan of Suyin, uh, I I did appreciate that she gets she saves the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean I I don't know why Lynn couldn't have done that, but uh, the the fact that Lynn is more like attacky and Suyin is more arty, I think, kind of 
connects with that a bit more. It, at least mm-hmm. it worked for me. And I, I like, like, okay, so this is why we've been spending all this time with Sue, so that she could save Cora. Okay, we're good. We're good now. <laughs> Do you have well, any... also to develop Lynn, though. Like, Lynn gets so much development out of Oh, well, of yeah, of course. Um, of course. Yeah. And it also maybe sets up some. Maybe it says things, some things up for season four. Yeah, parched over there. Uh, Marcus yeah, says, I totally bit. buy Lynn being the one to draw the fire. Yes. Absolutely. Yes, yeah. that is correct. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts on these three episodes, Noel? Um, I mean, knowing some of the stuff, I was just like, right. No, they actually did that really inelegantly. <laughs> we'll talk about that in, we'll talk about that on Wednesday. Yeah. Um, but weirdly and elegantly, but then you're just like, whatever, because it doesn't really matter by book four. Um, but it, it feels weird in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, Marcus, you may know what I'm talking about. Um, but there's, there's a thing that it's like, I wonder if this will come back later. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> it a little does, aggressive in that way. Yeah. Um, no, nothing else. I oh. just still go ahead. Marcus is right. We haven't talked about Mako killing Ming Wa. Did Mako kill Ming Wa? Wouldn't that yeah. be a big thing for him? Uh, we need to talk about how absolutely amazing that move is, though. Like, like yeah. there's no way he was possibly going to win that fight. Like, and yeah. so, like when he and and it didn't occur. You know, obviously, I knew it was going to happen, but like the first time I watched it, it that would not have occurred to me. It shows how smart and and creative he is, and it's really impactful. And you know, after like the tenth time you're trying to kill everyone, I feel like you know it's a pr- an appropriate choice to make. Um, yeah. But yeah, they don't linger in it. And uh, does yeah. that come back into season four? Not to my knowledge, um, and I don't know if she's dead or not. Um, I mean, they, un- they melted the, the the lava bender, like melted the whole place. Right? Yeah, so presumably she is. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he like kills her directly. Um, if he like shocked her enough with the lightning bending to do that. Um, but no, like you were like you were saying, it is a really cool moment. Um, in part because the lightning bending just hasn't been a thing mm-hmm. for since really like book one. He's barely light. He's barely bent any lightning. Um, since book one um so it's a nice like surprise reminder type of deal um yeah. but she's so scary when they get into that pool oh man um, like the act like it's like spider right it's yeah it's like, like it's much more like cthulhu spider type yeah. of deal and it's unpleasant <laughs> yeah well and again the way you're gonna win these fights is to turn the person's strength against them so that's yeah. what he does and yeah it's really really effective um uh, Marcus says, I was actually thinking about it after Boleyn started lava bending, thinking, well, my, Mako needs to bring us some lightning. And yes, yes, uh, the there must be, like, I look forward to them trying to figure out, like, we know the the lightning bending can generate power in, if they need to, something for the airship or something. Uh, how are they going to c- come up with ways for the lava bending to be useful in a not like hunting down yeah. terrorists kind of way that are trying to like kill them all um but i look forward to seeing what because if anyone can it's Bolin. he'll find a way yeah he'll, he'll he'll go over back to the metal city and do some sculpture with that one bender <laughs> but but so yes uh steam engines okay for the for the uh the the lava bending to create the steam yeah, geo, some geothermal power plants. There we go. There we go. Um, well, Marcus, if you have any final thoughts, throw them in the chat. Otherwise, Noel, uh, I'm looking forward to book four. 
I am too. Like, I'm actively excited about large parts of book four. I'm not excited about one character that gets introduced in book four because I hate that character. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also kind of forget how his arc resolves. But I just forgot how much I hate him. And I've already watched the first episode. I'm just like, oh, please, no, go away. Never, ever, 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 ever come back. Um, Mm. Except he recurs for the entire season. It's very, very frustrating. Speaking of uh, go away, the, they handled the president at the end of the finale just right. Just like, oh, fuck you. So much. Yeah, no, he's the pits. It's it's a real shame he's still around at the beginning of book four. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he's still just terrible at the beginning of book four. So, um, yeah, Raiko's just the worst. Mm. Um, by design. He's yeah. he's supposed to be bad by design. Um, yeah, no, I'm really excited to talk about the season as a whole. Um, since I can, like, I wasn't here for, like, a lot of the Zaheer discussion that you all got into, um, a couple, couple of days ago. Um, so I'm really excited to talk about Zaheer. Um, yeah, no, so I'm excited about tomorrow and I'm excited to start book four. Um, yes. cause I like a lot of book four mm-hmm. and I think there's some good stuff in there. Um, listeners, uh, the, the name of the book is before, uh, balance, which is, you know, an interesting choice and we'll talk about that tomorrow a bit i would imagine along with the episode titles for the first two um and we're going to do two episodes a day except for the one with the clip show we'll do three that day but um that's the plan and yeah i'm i'm looking forward to a personal grooming choice that happens in book four it's it's so so good good. it's so good good. i just i'm i am most excited for allison to discover this that's the most the thing i'm most excited about because she's gonna love it it's it looks so good is the thing it looks so good yeah so if that's nice and vague yeah. enough for everyone we hope you enjoy and thank you to marcus for hanging out with us today in the zoom thank you everyone for listening we'll be back tomorrow uh to talk about book four as a whole uh, sorry book, book three three yeah. change as a whole my bad getting ahead of myself uh so thank you guys for listening Bye-bye. bye bye bye